The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its leaders, members, and contributors. Every week, your host, CEO of Two Small Men with Big Hearts, Stu Starkey, shines the light on a community to raise awareness of their leaders, members, and contributors. So together, we can create positive impact, inspire change, and help those in need of assistance at a grassroots level. Welcome to the community of Big Hearts. Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to the community of Big Hearts. Uh, this is our first guest of the show. Uh, very excited to have Roger Barrington with us here today and can't wait to get into uh, a great conversation about some of the things that he's doing in the community and, and dive a little deeper into uh, uh, why he's doing those things in the community. Roger, I, I always like to know first, um, what what do you do? Um what what um, what are the main things that you do each each week and in, in, in the year that they're most important to you? Well, Stu, thanks for thanks for having me today. This is uh, an honor to be uh, with you, and I love uh, how you've incorporated uh, this idea into your business and uh, how you want to support great initiatives in the community. And you know, my background is uh, in kind of the people helping business and. Um, excited uh, to be in kind of the stage I'm at now. Um, about 10 years ago, I founded uh, an organization called CANU, C-A-N-U, CANU Canada. And uh, it's the University of Can. It's a place of possibilities. And um, it happened quite accidentally. And actually, I was fortunate enough to be the volunteer executive director for eight years, which is kind of a different organizational model. And uh, in that uh, reality, of designing and building an organization from scratch, we were able to learn some principles and apply them, and uh, it's you know it's pretty exciting to be where we're at now. I also do some organizational design and development consulting work and some executive coaching as well. So I I really am in a great place. I I enjoy my life right now immensely. Amazing. Yeah, we we know. Uh, um, my my in-laws are, are quite close with you so they've spoken extraordinarily highly uh of all the things that you do and i think there's probably a few more things on your resume that uh you're you're being humble about there um but um again really really glad to have you here you said that you're uh, started off as the executive director of uh was it can you can you yeah yeah it um the story of can you actually is pretty amazing um <coughs> And I was fortunate enough to have the capacity in my work life to be a volunteer and not uh, be a resource hog on a, on a young organization. But, um, you know, about uh, 15 years ago, I started, uh, my, my background is working with university students primarily. And um, so uh, 15 or so years ago, I had a, an opportunity to, to um, expand some programming into some of our uh, more challenged schools in Winnipeg. And and it's a simple little after-school program founded by a former Canadian marathon uh, marathoner named Sylvia Ruger, and it's simply called the Running and Reading Clubs. And the concept's quite simple: you go into a school after school, and you uh, encourage kids to be active and fit, and you provide a little library for literacy work. Literacy is the number one pathway out of generational poverty, and 
mm. and then uh, you know a, a simple nutritional enhancement you know snacks and, and whatever and so I was intrigued by this and I uh, you know I was uh, recruiting university student volunteers to come and coach these kids in this after-school program and it was deeply meaningful to me I began to learn so much about some of the challenges that uh, so many people face in our city and uh, a little bit about the school system and how it works and uh, how we can bring together uh, different populations and they both uh, what I would what I would call mutual beneficialism where both parties benefit by being involved I think this right. is a just an amazing concept and so I did that for four or five years as a volunteer and we had six of these programs going in Winnipeg and northern communities but really it was a constraint uh, in that that led to can you being started um, I was having difficulty getting volunteers to come out to these schools we had grown quite rapidly I and see. and university students had part-time jobs or courses or they didn't have a car or they were scared or whatever the reasons were all legit and and simultaneously I met this amazing a new family to Canada that went to one of Winnipeg's uh, you know in my opinion one of the toughest schools we have and uh, the oldest daughter of six kids her name was Mary she was a brilliant kid you know super hard-working uh, respectful full of potential you know she reminded me of my own two daughters but just coming from a different reality and this little switch got flicked in my head you know when I realized that Mary uh, has a lot of obstacles to overcome uh, to become the person that she has the potential to be uh, I thought, well, if I can't get the university students to the Marys of the world, maybe I can get the Marys to the university students, and that's where Kenny was born. And because of my relationship with those three Winnipeg schools, we were able to start a pilot program the next year, busing 15 kids from these three schools to the university for a simple little after-school program in mentorship and tutoring and nutrition and physical activity. And it kind of took off from there. Amazing. So um, I know that when I think about um, getting involved and helping somebody uh, to overcome some of their obstacles, like it, it gives me so much energy. It's the thing that like I am most excited about in the day to just give somebody that opportunity that they really deserve. Mm. Um, so that's that's great. So you started with those was it uh, fifteen kids? Fifteen kids, yeah. That was ten years ago. Uh, yeah, that was nine or ten years ago. That's right. Okay. And uh, so we had to learn how to do this logistically, you know. And we were um, being supported by another uh, not-for-profit organization, and we actually had some really interesting constraints in that first year that uh, you know we had to overcome. And, uh, you know, besides the typical ones of a lack of resources or, you know, fu funding or whatever. And, but that was a big one. And, and what we decided to do to address it, we, you know, right from the get-go, we knew that um, we had the opportunity to do something special. But we didn't, you know, I recruited some of my friends to be involved in this. And, and I know they're deeply grateful nine years later that I did that and we've all benefited more maybe than any of the kids who have ever been involved so we did a lot of research on things like hope theory and when the ideal mm -hmm. time to do an intervention in a kid's life is which is grade four but we uh, we thought we thought grade five would be the sweet spot in terms of the level of maturity and independence required to get on a bus to go to the university across the city and then I brokered kind of these partnerships 
with the university that they uh, were very glad to give us. Again, I had been working in that context for a long time, so I had some good relationships and networks, and they were very glad to give us access, for example, to the Million Dollar Nutrition Lab, uh, which, you know, it's a research kitchen at the University of Manitoba, and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty high standards on this thing. And so to bring a bunch of kids in there, uh, there was a lot of wor- worry going on that somebody would unplug a fridge with, you know, brain samples in it that were being used <laughs> for research and whatever. And so we had to we had to think about how to do this, but we had favor, right? We had a little bit of a, a, a good reputation. We had some credibility, and we had favor. We had friends. And so early on, uh, we were given access to the gyms at the U of M and the lab spaces and classrooms for uh, in-kind. And this led us to develop a model where it's a partnership driven model where if everybody has a little bit of skin in the game we can uh, everybody benefits and we can uh, add it up to make a tremendous impact with relatively little cost very efficient organizational design and uh, and we didn't know at the time you know the the original concept was that we'd be supporting a few kids with great potential but we didn't realize what an incredible impact this would have on all the partners involved. And, and, and one of the big groups of partners are the university students. Early on, we realized we couldn't afford to buy, hire a bunch of staff to design programs. So we thought, well, what if we gave university students the opportunity to, in their field of study, design learning experiences for kids and have them benefit personally and professionally at the same time? And so that became kind of unwittingly our model and today, you know, nine years later, we have almost 800 kids involved from 58 schools uh, with uh, almost 900 university student volunteers who wow. design, lead, facilitate, mentor uh, about 80 different programs. That's incredible. So over nine to 10 years, you guys went from 15 um, uh, students of mm-hmm. KenU to over 800 a year. Yeah, where we are today. Year. Yeah, that's right. And we start with kids in grade, grade we called it the eight-year plan. We started kids with kids in grade five, and we wanted to not just do kind of one-off things with them, but we wanted to get to know them over until they graduated from high school, and, and that's eight years. And um, we have developed this pathway, uh, and it's, it's so much more than educational enrichment. It really is about inspiring hope and confidence and it really is about uh, looking at life differently so that we uh, don't see obstacles, but we see possibilities. And, when, and we, we, we've somehow kind of managed to muddle our way around to uh, helping kids to learn how to seize opportunities when they come their, their way. And we, we have uh, these amazing things throughout, uh, throughout any given year. And, and we ask kids who have been involved with CanU to, to speak at these things, which is fantastic and developmental at the same time. And I love the fact that the majority of the times when these kids share their story, they aren't talking about having a great art program or whatever, although those are fantastic. They are talking about being filled with confidence or uh, having more hope or seeing possibilities or the fact that they're learning how to seize opportunities when they come their way. And, you know, Canyon's a very diverse place. There's all kinds of uh, cultures represented. There's all kinds of uh, economic realities represented. And unfortunately, in our in our province, uh, you know, there's an economic reality for many kids. And and the the low 
uh, socioeconomic kids graduation rate from high school is about 47 percent and high SES graduation rates are 92 percent so you know we, we again Kenya is very diverse and we have some kids that would find themselves in that 47 percent reality and uh, our one of my quiet dreams is to help the 47 percenters become 92 percenters um, so you, you said that um, you, you were talking about the the obstacles that some of the the students are facing and, and you're hoping to help them see them as n- not those and help them get over those obstacles what were some of the obstacles that, that you had at first getting this launched, going from 15 to where you are now? Wow, what a great question, Stu. So we, you know, it's uh, in reflecting back, I think the biggest obstacle is uh, limited thinking. You know, the, uh, the inability to see uh, differently. And so we kind of get locked into a paradigm of how we're supposed to do things. Mm-hmm. And that is simply, you know, you rent a facility, you hire staff, you design a program, and you do it, you know. And, and that is kind of commonplace. And I, I'm so thankful that early on um, we didn't do that. You know, we, 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 I, I'm, a, I'm a stubborn person, and so, and <laughs> so I, one of the things that I, I kind of took this as a challenge, how can we do this in a way that is super efficient and, and without losing any effectiveness, and we also create an environment where everybody is. I used to, you know, and I mentioned the term mutual beneficialism, and that was kind of uh, early on in my thinking, and, but that implies two parties both benefiting. And now my, my thinking has changed. No, I want to be more uh, ambitious than benefit, you know. And there's more parties than two, so in terms of partners and people who are involved. So uh, now I'm thinking of a collective transformation, that this is the kind of environment we want to create where everybody is collectively transformed by their participation in it. And I think that's happening. You know, uh, we get consistently the feedback from those volunteers we have, the university students who are saying, you know, this, I, you know, I came in here thinking that I might uh, provide a little bit of benefit to somebody else, but really it, it is me who is benefiting. It's me who's being transformed. And, and you see kind of these stereotypes and these um, prejudices and these uh, natural fears and, and uh, uncomfortable uh, things going on being dismantled and kind of um, I, I love that I love that uh, we have such a diverse uh, world in Kanyu so many cultures represented so many different um, people and realities in the background and everybody is being transformed that's awesome um, and very inspirational one of the things, and the reason actually we're sitting here today, was my business partner and I were sitting down and we were trying to figure out how to um, be inspired again. You know, we, we had our business goals and, and we were achieving those. And the motivation from those, you know, financial goals we had set weren't waking us up in the morning with the same energy. So we sat down and we wanted to figure out how to get that back. And after brainstorming for a while, we realized that um, helping others overcome those obstacles helping those in our community really when we kind of done a few programs when people had asked us and we thought you know that feels awesome and so when we put our heads together we thought like let's do more of this 
Like it feels great. It's helping others. You talk about mutual benefits. Mm -hmm. So um, one of one of the reasons that we we thought about doing this podcast and the benefits of it was we're hoping to have others to have the same light bulb moment that, mm -hmm. that we did. And so I'm I'm interested to learn a little bit more specifically. You talked about um, thinking. Um, uh, a little outside the box mm -hmm. and being more uh, strategic about being lean in the startup. Is there any like advice you can give others mm -hmm. on how to do that? Wow, that's a great question. And um, first of all, let me commend you and your partner on being an example of this, thinking differently about how um, business owners um, should be a part of a community. And um, I love it too that you guys are focused on inspiring rather than um, just doing and and I think that was one of our early lessons too is that when we were uh, when and, and again part of it is that something called there's a, a tremendous book out there called the beautiful uh, the beautiful constraint and it talks about turning constraints into something beautiful rather than being victims of an obstacle how do we um, see that as an opportunity to think innovatively or create creatively and I, I that kind of just came naturally to me early on that uh, I, I love the challenge of doing something differently mm. and um, so when we had these various obstacles come our way and one of the obstacles was uh, demand we had schools coming to us saying we want to be involved in fact even today we have 58 schools involved, but we have at least 10 schools on a waiting list. Mm -hmm. And uh, we turn away volunteers every year. Uh, we have 900 volunteers, uh, and we we turn away volunteers. Uh, so I know something special is happening because that's not the norm. But I, I would encourage people to uh, begin to allow themselves to not just uh, kind of push through uh, an obstacle in kind of a traditional thinking way, you know, okay, we need to raise more money or we need to uh, find a bigger space to do our things or we need to add programming. I, I think what, what, what really uh, the feedback and the reality of, uh, of our own situation allows us to do is say, okay, well, we can do this with the same budget, with the same staff, if we think a little bit differently about it. And so I, I, it's called can-if thinking. You know, In fact, mm -hmm. one of the things that... I love to do. We have a, a tremendous young staff. We only, for an organization of almost 2,000 people, we have four full-time staff, and they're all young women between the ages of 22 and 28, and they're incredible. They are amazing, passionate, uh, smart, committed uh, young people. But I, I have kind of a policy. I don't allow them to say can't. So uh, they can't say can't. And... Um, and we we've try, we have some fun with this, but it's the idea, well, no, let's not say can't. Let's say we can if we uh, think about oh, this I a little that. bit differently. Yeah. I was having a conversation this morning with somebody at work about something that sounded very similar. Hmm. Um, okay, so the, the doing things um, and starting them off, we, we're, we're looking to do some of those things um, and so w where our heads are at is, is we want to do things sustainably. We don't want to just um, give resources once and then say, okay, we're tapped. Yeah. We want to create this synergistic 
program that can um, continue to help into the foreseeable future. That's one of our goals is, is doing those things. And, and actually, this is one of those ways that we're hoping to do that. We're trying to get more than just us doing stuff in the community. We're trying to have others um, learn from this, have us learn, but also have others learn on how to um, grow and start and, and be impactful. Mm. Um, so uh, that's, uh, that's well, very inspirational. Go. That, that's, that's a tremendous goal. And uh, I this is how we think too, that um, you know, kind of all hands on deck, if everybody has a little bit of skin in the game, then we can uh, together accomplish amazing, uh, sustainable, transformative realities for many people. Uh, and it's, it starts small. And uh, it, you know, one of the things we're loving is our oldest cohort right now in Can U is, is going to grade 12, and, uh, or just started grade 12. And they're, um, they're, it's a small group because we were very small back then. And uh, we love the fact that these uh, fantastic young leaders are now, uh, they've, they've been infected with the virus kind of a thing. And so they, they are wanting to make change. They're wanting to do good. They're brimming over with confidence. They're doing excelling in school. Uh, they are volunteering now in Can You and in other places, but in Can You as junior volunteers. So we, we had this opportunity. We actually, it was another constraint. What do we do with these high school students? They're asking us for more, 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 yet we don't know what to do kind of a thing. And one of the one of our observations, well, why can't they serve? Why can't they lead? Why can't they help? Well, why do we always think, again, limited thinking of, well, we need to feed, you know, like uh, inform or teach or whatever. And often, uh, you know, again, our educational paradigms are so limited, lecture-based, information transference, uh, big group, you know, and, and we forget that there is maybe the most effective learning happens in giving someone responsibility and having them experience it and having to sort it out on their own what it looks like and that's been kind of our world you talk about doing things a little bit differently but inviting university students hey listen you design the nutrition program if you don't do it it's not going to happen so you know uh, I mean and and I'm amazed at these university students that they rise to that challenge and they actually uh, really really benefit from having to think that through and to be kind of put on the spot you know if if they don't do it it's not going to get done yeah, as there, we can. There's, there's something powerful about responsibility being given to somebody and knowing that hey if I don't do this it's not going to get done mm -hmm. uh, I find I uh, can't remember who said this but they said that the most productive if you're looking to get production out of a, a team member, um, the three things that are most important is uh, mastery, purpose, and autonomy. Mm. And it sounds like you're giving them all of those things through this program. Mm. We're trying. We, you know, it's and again, we're we're uh, we're committed to something that we would call kind of developmental evaluation, where we're always learning in an agile kind of uh, way. You know. Mm. We do pre and post analysis and stuff like that too, but uh, I think one of the one of the other things that I would really recommend to people is don't, you know, don't don't be afraid to change something midstream if it's not working. You know, to be right. uh, open to saying, well, you know what, we thought of a great idea, this wasn't working quite the way we were wanting, so well, let's try it. You know, 
we we love the concept of pilot programs because it gives us the freedom to say well let's just try something if it doesn't work it doesn't work you know and uh, so we're always experimenting we're always trying new things we're always giving people the opportunity to uh, uh, be involved and and um, and the freedom to fail kind of approach to things as well awesome what uh, I think we've been I think I know the answer to this question mm -hmm. but uh, and I want to get more into the answer but what's been the most impactful thing that you've done um, with these students um, uh, what have you given them um, when they're coming into this program that, that you found that has the most impact on their uh, tenure during the program and then their lives after hmm wow Stu that's uh, that's an incredible question I, I um, you know I would suggest that one of the things that we all look for in life is that somebody would see something in us of value and um, would you know would love us would believe in us uh, and would um, provide us with opportunities to um, kind of patiently become ourselves. So I think one of the things that I love is that we've created a, uh, a place of belonging for so many people. Love that. Yeah, that they, that they feel like this is, you know, the, the number one barrier to a post-secondary education is not finances, it's familiarity. And, and so if, if, if a family does, doesn't have a, and, and a post-secondary education is not a be-all and end-all by any stretch, but um, education is a valuable resource. And so one of the things that we want to do is, is create a sense of familiarity and belonging for kids that might not otherwise have that on a university or a college campus so that when they get there after grade 12, they can go, you know what, I know my way around. In fact, there's an amazing story. There's a, a beautiful young guy involved in CanU. He's in grade 11. His name's Furio. And Furio has been involved in CanU since grade 5. And um, he was a part of a summer leadership program this summer. He's a big kid, you know, and he's a... Uh, He's he's uh, learn he's very social and he's very friendly and and he has grown into his own confidence over the years and so he's on the uh, the University of Manitoba campus for this summer leadership program and uh, he had a bunch of uh, university students come up to him and ask him if he knew where a particular building was. And when he was telling me the story, it was fantastic. He says, you know, Roger, he says, I knew exactly where that building was, and I walked them over to it, and I showed them how to get there. And he said, and that is because, you know, I had this experience, and I, I know my way around uh, this place, and I feel very, very comfortable here. So I sense, a, you know, I, I believe that a sense of belonging is a huge uh, uh, if we can accept each other, if we can give, provide each other with the space and the, and welcome them into into our you know what might be our world or our comfort zone, then I think we're doing uh, great service to people. In, thank you for that. And that uh, in preparation for these conversations, I read a book called Belonging, mm. and and a stat um, or a fact that I'll I'll never forget is that. Um, loneliness is just as harmful to a person um, as alcoholism mm. and that they've actually proven it on a cellular level wow. that loneliness can cause 
just the, the, the smallest part of you mm. uh, to be damaged. And, and the opposite of loneliness is that belonging. Mm. So if, if at the very least, if we can just do that for people, we'll yeah. be much better off, not just in, in happiness, but in health. Oh, so. I love it. And, and the, um, one of the things that we're learning is it's a very tough time to be a young person, you know, with social media and all the pressures to, uh, you know, all the you know, kind of concepts of cyberbullying and everything that goes on. But I think one of the darkest parts of that is that we're constantly comparing ourselves in our known mm. reality to somebody else's highlight reel, you know, the, the pictures on yeah. Instagram, the fun that everybody's having, the vacations, whatever. We're always comparing us in our known state to the what best we, of. yeah, the best of what we perceive to be another person's real life is, but it's not, it's a highlight reel. And so kids are constantly faced with the challenge of comparing themselves to others. And if they, can be accepted and uh, have a sense of belonging and especially by what we in the candy world call mentors somebody who's a little bit older who has a little bit more credibility or who, who we look up to you know and in this case it's grade 5 to grade 12 kids looking up to university students and uh, I it works it, it simply works uh, for us it t but it takes a while this doesn't happen overnight you know p uh, kids have to they're always, uh, it, uh, am I really belonging? Am I really accepted? You know, that takes, that growth and trust in that takes time to develop. Right. Yeah, comparison is the thief of joy. Wow. Is something that uh, I've been, I've heard it and I've been internalizing wow. for a couple of years and it just keeps getting more and more true mm. as you see more examples and you start applying it to, you know, my own life. Um, so that's, that's really uh, impactful. Comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And I think not just on the highlights, even just on day-to-day -day yeah. stuff. Um, we can always find something in ourselves that is less than something in someone else. And um, I, uh, it makes total sense to me. And if we, you know, I love it too that uh, uh, research has shown that a gratitude is the number one developed attribute that can help us uh, break free of that. that right. If we can practice gratitude rather than uh, discouraging comparisons, I think we're on, a, and it's very hard to do. I, try, right. I you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm on a path right now of trying to shift when I identify those uh, those comparative thoughts that are negative, uh, trying to shift it to um, gratitude for what is true and good and positive in my life. But it's 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 hard to do. Someone told me that. Um, when you're feeling grateful, it's impossible to be angry or anxious. Mm. And I there. thought, no, wait, yeah. <laughs> so I thought about it more and more. That that's totally true. That's powerful. It is powerful. Gratefulness is yeah. unbelievable. But I also heard that mm -hmm. um, when people uh, give thanks before dinner or or prayer, depending on what their faith is, yeah. typically you find that that people are doing that just before dinners. And when you're feeling grateful. You're not anxious anymore, and, and you're, all your uh, blood uh, starts to flow to your internal organs to digest your yeah. food. It actually has a functional purpose yeah. for giving thanks before dinner. You know, it's it's fascinating. We're just developing a new set of programs in CanU that is uh, looks at digestion, and right. uh, yeah, so we have lots of nutrition-based program. Nutrition is uh, is such an important piece in overall wellness. 
but there is uh, a mindfulness component to nutrition at a cellular level where mm -hmm. we are able to absorb the nutrients uh, if we're aware of our food and what it, it, it actually is. It, tra it transforms into the mechanical and the chemical uh, processes of digestion as well. It's That's amazing. Me. That's amazing. I could go down this rabbit hole for a while. I, I, I'm just learning about it. Uh, and producer Ryan, I'm sure, is chomping a bit to, <laughs> to get in there. But um, that's that's great. Tell, tell me a little bit about, um, you said a couple times, Hoke Theory mm. and, and the research you've done and how you've applied that to your programs in Kenya. Wow, great. This is one of my favorite topics, Stu. Like, it, it's, it's amazing what uh, people are able to study and how uh, how it affects us. So there's something called hope theory that uh, looks at the idea that we can actually measure the levels of hope in a person. And um, the research shows that the higher levels of hope a person has uh, leads to better outcomes in life. And they, there are three basic uh, outcomes that happens. One is a person with high hope is able to more clearly conceptualize future goals. So they're able to say, hmm, all right, I have some hope, I can do this. I can get a university degree, or I can uh, finish that triathlon, or I can do whatever. And secondly, uh, they are able to then, high, high hope people are able to develop the strategies necessary to get to that future goal. So they say, you know what, I, if I, in order to get to university, I need to do well in grade nine. And then I need to, you know, uh, think about what I need to study in grade 10 in order to uh, pursue my, my goals. And then maybe most importantly is the concept of resilience, where high hope people have the ability to overcome the inevitable obstacles that will come in their way inevitable setbacks. I love the game of uh, snakes and ladders because <laughs> it, it's such a profound little game. It's um, an ancient game that was co-opted by Victorian England, but you know, you have a hundred squares and you have, actually it's it's interesting, you have nine ladders on a traditional snakes and ladders game and you have ten snakes. There's more setbacks. It feels like there's more snakes than that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's amazing though. Oh, I'm so uh, such a nerd when it comes to this stuff. But there, if you just keep going in the game Snakes and Ladders, the mathematicians have come up with this, that if you roll the dice 39.6 times, you mm. will finish the game of Snakes and Ladders. And I really liken this to life. You know, we all have, we all have square, square 100s in life. And... Um, and they might be a fitness square 100, they might be an educational square 100, they might be a financial square 100, they might be a relational square 100. Oh, wow. And we all are on this pathway to going for This is something that I really love uh, using in some of my coaching and some of my organizational design. What is a person's uh, square 100? And again, there's lots of them. So I love that metaphor of how you, you've um, talked about the math behind snakes and ladders. And, and how I see that is that it, it, you just got to keep trying. Exactly. You, you keep can't trying because you will get to 100. You just got to, and you're going to have setbacks yeah. through through the snakes. And sometimes you're going to get a lucky break through a ladder. And that that's amazing. In fact, I, I think ironically, so, uh, 
often the snakes are the best ladders. They take us to a new level of awareness that will right. help us. I, I don't know about you, but I typically land in my life on the same snake over and over and over <laughs> again. And I, 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 I'm a slow learner, you know, but if I can learn how to identify those snakes before uh, I step on them, you know, and also to be able to recognize the mysterious ladder that waits for me to help me out, uh, I can I can uh, get to my desired goal. But this is a, a big part of, uh, of hope theory is that uh, people with high hope are going to be able to withstand more snakes setting them back and they are not going to give up. It's, the, it's one of those four positive psychological capacities, resilience, and hope is another one, confidence is another, and optimism. So those are all very, very important foundational concepts in the can you world i mean it's hard to implement that when you have a volunteer force of eight or nine hundred people right how do you right. do it and so i think leadership is in many ways um, modeling consistently uh, those things and creating a culture with your key leaders and staff to make sure that we're looking at that because not everybody sees that it's 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 hard to all right now we're going to talk about hope no it happens just by doing and by being and by living in a certain way over time. So I got two questions. First question is, I'm curious on the difference between hope and confidence. Because mm -hmm. how you're describing yeah. hope to me sounds like confidence. Mm -hmm. And you describe them as two separate things. And the second question is, uh, maybe you can give us an example of something specific that you've done with your team to help build the, the hope within your, your members. Well, uh, I'll try. Um, you know, in my in my understanding, hope is um, kind of a foundational view of the world that uh, it's not inherently evil or negative. Life that there is um, something positive. There is some purpose and meaning in life that we can kind of. I went on a snorkeling tour recently in. Uh, in, a, in Aruba, went on a vacation and to do snorkeling. I love snorkeling, and and there was uh, one of the top snorkeling reefs in the world is uh, in on the southern tip of uh, Aruba or down the down the coast of Aruba. And uh, my friend and I went to uh, that that snorkeling that beach, and we went snorkeling, and we thought, wow, this is terrible. Like <laughs> this wasn't at all what what was advertised. But then we, we did some looking online and we realized that we didn't go to the right spot and that we actually had to do something crazy. We had to uh, get out into the open ocean. So we had to park our car down here, leave our sandals in a spot, or put, leave our sandals two kilometers down the road, drive to a parking lot, get out here, and we had to uh, be courageous enough to go over these breakers into the open ocean where there's actually a shipping lane. But what, what the thing was that we had to get into what was called the drift current. And so when we, were, when we got into this current, it pushed us to our sandals two kilometers down the road, but we were in paradise. We were uh, observing this incredibly healthy coral reef, but it was effortless. We were in the current, and it was taking us. And in fact, we missed, well, there was a huge coral tree, and and I wanted to swim underneath one of the branches, so we had to turn around and try and swim against the current and get uh, to swim under this army. It was practically impossible. So the, the metaphor for me is that there is this current of 
positive uh, potential in life, purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And if we can just tie into that current, we will drift along rather effortlessly and rather beautifully towards uh, a goal. And if we miss something we, and we have to swim back against the current, it's going to be tough, but we can do it. And so I think hope is that environment of, yeah, there's something uh, incredible about life that we can experience. And confidence, I think, is uh, that, that personal development of hope over time. As we're more and more hopeful over time, we then begin to say, you know what, that wasn't just a pipe dream, that wasn't just a, a, ni a nice thought, that I can actually do this. But you know what, I can do this. Hmm. I can do this. And we, we develop, hope leads to confidence, in my opinion. Like I, I think hope is the foundational thing. Confidence is the, is the developed attribute over time. So hope is that belief in that the stream of life is going to take you someplace good. Wow. And that, You and said that in four seconds, <laughs> and I rambled on for who knows how long. Um, well, you're saying some really uh, impactful stuff, so I'm just trying to hold on and, and mm -hmm. learn uh, from you. So... That's great. I love that. I understand the difference um, from how you explained it. Um, um, so I, I'd love to know for others listening, and maybe we can play this to some of the bigger boys of the world that mm -hmm. can really have a uh, significant impact, but also get to a place where, so how can Two Small Men help you? And this is our resources. And uh, yeah, we'll, okay. we'll go from there. Wow. Stu, what a great question. Um, I think, you know, one of the limitations that we have, of course, is um, paying for the things that we want to do. Now, we're very creative and innovative in how we, how we go about it, uh, but the reality is that we have, to, uh, we have to have leaders leading what we're doing. Uh, so one of the things that I'm, again, how do we do this in such a way that it's a collective transformation? And we have 80 programs. We have a law program. We have, uh, you know, a financial literacy program. We have some, a variety of science programs. We have health sciences programs. We have a dentistry program. Like these are amazing That's experiences. Good. In fact, this year we're starting uh, a microbiology research program for grade nine and ten kids. And these kids are anal analyzing the antibiotic resistant. Uh, bacteria in Winnipeg's water systems and they are doing this over the course of a year and they will be presenting their findings in a classic kind of research presentation thing. These kids are doing graduate level work uh, in microbiology in grade 9 and 10 and they have an interest in this and so we're providing them with this opportunity and they have a coordinator of that program that we're paying. And, but I, I just see this as being such an opportunity for, uh, you know, a law firm to get behind our law program. And I actually, you know, I, I don't know if this is a good thing to say on air, but I actually think that we, Can You, needs to be interviewing potential sponsors to see if they're a good fit for what we're doing. We want right. them to be, believe, you know, we don't want them to just be able to attach their name to what we're doing without sharing a common value about how we, yeah. uh, how we address some of the systemic challenges that our city and province faces so you know this is one of those things down the road we'd love industry to provide internships and part-time jobs to kids who are ready to start working uh, we would love to uh, receive the financial support for particular programs and for bigger concept programs too one of the thoughts that I have I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag here a little bit but 
we, we would love to have host a heroes night, a heroes of innovation night. One, one of the things that Candy really tries to embed in what we do is we name our various teams, you teams after Manitoba heroes, people who have overcome some adversity in life and done something good. And so we try and tell their story, right? And um, I would love for us to host an annual event that uh, where people can get to know some of these inspiring people in in our province and also support what can you is trying to do to create the next generation of heroes these are all kind of ideas in in, pro, in process but um and and i'm sure and i would welcome and i'd invite if, if there's somebody out there who's been who's listening to this who has some ideas on how uh, we might do this a little differently by all means i'd love to chat with them awesome so uh, one of the things we want to try and do with, with each of the guests when possible is figure out a way to uh, get our uh, growing uh, listeners to, uh, to help. So um, first, how can, how can people reach out to you to figure out if they're a good fit, to figure out how awesome. and, and uh, how they can help? Oh, Stu, thanks for that. So you know, our website, although it's still uh, in process, is canucanada, C-A-N-U Canada, all one word, dot org. And if they want to reach out, they can check us out a little bit there. Again, uh, have patience and grace towards us. It's a work in progress. It's not what we want it to be. But then uh, simply our, an email uh, address that's easy to remember is info, I-N-F-O, at canucanada.org. And that will come to me and our program director, Brittany Truman. Uh, and she will, now Brittany Wilson, she just got, got married this summer. But that we will be able to help direct uh, person's uh, inquiries. Awesome. So uh, from from two small men, um, we would like to possibly explore with you offline if there's an internship uh, placement possible. We have awesome. a few different positions that uh, we, we may work. We've done it. We actually helped start the employment program with uh, CNIB in Alberta. Wow. And our best um, customer service representative is somebody from that employment program that we helped start, wow. which we're incredibly proud about, but also... Like you say, it's not one way. This is something that um, he's excelling. He's super proud of what he's accomplished, as he should be. Mm-hmm. We've benefited. He's benefited, and CNIB has as well. So, wow. one of those win-wins that maybe we can work together. Yeah, on. I love it. And and also, we were speaking speaking a few months ago um, about one of our programs, which is called the Big Hearts Move of the Month, and we we try to pick a cha- uh, charity in each territory that we operate in to do moving services for free every month. Wow. And you s- at the time, you s- I felt a light bulb go off yeah, this a- is in amazing. that conversation. And uh, we're wondering if you could uh, use something like that within your organization. There is not a uh, second of hesitation in saying, of course, this would be amazing. And we have many Im- incredible families that that would just not only provide them with a a little bit of a, a lift at a at a at an important time in their lives when they're moving to a new home, but this again this concept of belonging and someone right. uh, accepting and believing in them and and arriving at just that right time to inspire a little more hope and a little more confidence. I think it's brilliant. Uh, it's given me goosebumps to <laughs> to the thought of being able to help on that level. So. Um, it's so awesome. Thank you so much for your time today and being the first guest on uh, Community of Big Hearts. What an honor. Thank you very much, Stu, and Mm. producer Ryan. Thanks so so much. 
Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Community of Big Hearts with Stu Starkey. If you know someone in your community who is a leader doing great things and driving change, a contributor who is on a passionate mission to help their community through a nonprofit or a foundation, or a community member just doing their part to make their community a better place, please send Stu an email and let him know, and maybe they can be featured on a future episode of The Community of Big Hearts. You can email Stu at Stu at twosmallmen.com. Again, that's Stu at twosmallmen.com. Thank you again for listening.